Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. In a moment, we'll read the first 10 verses from Luke 17. The title of this message is The Extraordinary Nature of Ordinary Faith. The Extraordinary Nature of Ordinary Faith. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Hmm. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes your word is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy to understand. And this passage is one of those passages. You say some things that we didn't expect to hear you say. And yet you did say them. And so there must be something in these verses for us to grab hold to principles for us to live on. I pray that you'd help us to find them. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the uh, benefits, I guess it would be a benefit, of being a pastor of a church for 19 years is that there are times when I will preach a sermon and someone will meet me going out the door at the end of the sermon and they have their Bible open, which by the way always scares me. And as they meet me, they say, you preached on that passage of scripture four years ago and right here I marked it, the date that you preached on it and what you said about it. Every now and then, hopefully not too often, someone will come up with their Bible open and say, you preached on this six months ago. Why would you do that? 
And of course, I didn't remember that I had preached on it six months ago. I'm sure it was a different message after all, but, but I think I'm on safe ground to say this. No one is going to be coming up to me after the service today saying, you preached on this passage on X date, and I'll tell you why. I've never preached on this text, ever. I've been preaching since 1981, and I've never preached on this text. Now, I may have preached on the mustard seed, but I'm talking about all 10 of these verses together. I've never preached on them, and I'll tell you why. They're weird. They're weird verses. Jesus says things that I wouldn't expect Jesus to say. And when he says something that that I find weird or that I didn't expect him to say, I just try to, you know... I just try to walk around those and talk about something else because it's weird. And yet here we are, we're looking at a passage of scripture that's weird. It's a passage about faith. That shouldn't surprise us. The Bible is about faith. Faith is believing in something even though we don't have all the scientific evidence to base our belief on. Christianity is is by faith. We believe in Jesus, that he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for us, that he rose from the dead, not because we personally saw it, not because we can go do a DNA test in order to find forensic evidence for what we believe, but we believe it because that's what the Bible tells us. We believe it even though we don't have evidence. I run into people sometimes who are looking for certainties. They want evidence. They want absolute uh, empirical evidence that they can base their faith on. And I always tell them, I said, look, you need to be very careful about that. Because the moment that we dip into certainty, not that we're ever going to find it, but the moment we dip into certainty, we may have lost faith because faith and certainty are opposites. Paul said in one place, we, uh, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. What he meant by that is we walk by faith. We, we believe not because we have evidence, but because... God has said, this is what I've I've done for you, and we believe it even though we don't have evidence. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by certainty or absolute evidence of something. This is a passage about faith, but it's a strange passage. There's a series on Netflix called Stranger Things. Anybody ever watch Stranger Things? Raise your hand if you've seen Stranger Things. Six... Strange people watch Stranger Things. I watch Stranger Things. I watched the first season, but I have to be honest with you. I watched the first season of Stranger Things because somebody told me that they filmed it at Bradley's Big Buy in Palmetto. And I wanted to see Bradley's Big Buy on the big screen. And so I told my wife, Amanda, I said, we need to watch Stranger Things. I said, I don't know what it's about, but they filmed it at uh, Bradley's Big Buy. And so I don't remember exactly how many episodes are in the first season. It seems like they're 10, 11, 12, maybe 13, maybe 13 episodes. So we, we sat down and we watched episode one. And there was no Bradley's Big Buy. 
And so we sat down and we watched episode two and there was, there was no Bradley's Big Bye. And we watched episode three and episode four and in neither of those was there Bradley's Big Bye. And so I'm beginning to think that people told me things that weren't true and I'm gullible that way. So I watched episode number five and there was still no, no Bradley's Big Bye. And I thought... I said, we're going to watch one more. And we watched episode six. And in episode six, one of the kids in Stranger Things goes into Bradley's Big Bye. And I'm thinking, finally, we got to Bradley's Big Bye in episode six. And that girl was in Bradley's Big Bye every bit of 23 seconds on that episode. And I said, man, they were there two weeks filming this thing. There has to be more. And so we finished episode six and I told Amanda, I said, we got to keep watching it. I mean, I don't really like it, but we got to keep watching it because they had to, there has to be more Bradley's big buy on this thing. And so we watched episode seven and eight and nine and 10 and all the way to 13. There was not another episode that had Bradley, Bradley's big buy in it. So I said, I'm not going to watch it anymore. Stranger Things. Why did I bring up Stranger Things? Many of you are asking that right now. Why did our pastor bring up Stranger Things? Because this passage that is one in which Jesus told some stories, told some things that just, they seem strange. So what is he saying? So I I want us to just walk through this passage part by part and let's see what is it about faith that Jesus is trying to tell us. And the first thing that we, that we see in these verses, in the opening verses, uh, actually the first four verses, is that, that sometimes faith is really challenging. The sometimes challenging demands of living out our faith. It's in verses one through four. Let's look at those again. Jesus said to his disciples, now watch this. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Things that cause people to stumble. Raise your hand if someone's ever hurt your feelings or or made you angry. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have hurt somebody else's feelings or if you have ever done something to make them angry. Yeah, me too. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, look, those things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. We, we are human and we're going to hurt people's feelings. We're going to anger people, whether we mean to or not. And people are going to hurt us and anger us. Those things are bound to come. That's just real life. But, Jesus says, woe to anyone through whom they come. Now I'm getting a little uncomfortable. I'm okay with the fact that There are times when I might hurt somebody's feelings. There are times when somebody might hurt my feelings. I'm okay with that. I know that's real life. But he says, woe to them through whom they come. It would be better for them, that is for you and me when we hurt somebody, it would be better for us to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around our neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now I'm losing sleep. I get that I'm going to hurt people and I get that people are going to hurt me and we're going to hurt each other 
it shouldn't be that way, but it is that way because it's human nature. But Jesus says this. He says, but realize this. When you hurt someone, it is serious business. So serious that this is the consequence. This is the punishment that you and I would deserve for that. And it seems to me a bit extreme. Okay, so I hurt somebody's feeling. What is the punishment? You get this big old concrete block tied around your feet, Jimmy, and thrown into the sea. What? This faith stuff is hard. So watch yourselves, Jesus says. And then he goes on. Verse 3, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Now I'm back to agreeing with Jesus. I like that. Somebody hurts you, let them have it, brother. Rebuke them right then and there. You're wrong. (laughs) But he went on. He says, if they repent, forgive them. Okay, if somebody hurts me, are you this way? If somebody wrongs you and they come up to you and they say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. It's easier to forgive them then. Do you find that to be true? Hello? You folks over here, y'all find that to be true? It's harder when somebody hurts you and they never apologize or we never apologize for what we've done. That's a little harder, even though the Bible tells us we're supposed to forgive them too. But Jesus says this, he says, if a brother and sister sins against you, rebuke them, but if they repent, forgive them. Okay, so far, so good. Verse four, even if they sin against you seven times, Even if they sin against you seven times and seven times come back saying to you, I repent, you must forgive them. Now I don't like Jesus anymore. But did you notice what he said there? I left a part out that last time. You see, it's bad enough if somebody comes up and they hurt you, I mean really bad, they realize it, they come up and they ask for forgiveness, right? Okay, good. But they come up and they do the same thing again. And then they come up and ask for forgiveness and forgive them, maybe. Seven times, but not just seven times in a lifetime. He says, if they come up to you and they sin against you seven times in a day, in a single day, They do the same thing to you seven times within a 24-hour period. And Jesus says, if they then come up to you each time and ask for forgiveness, you must forgive them. I'm a pastor. I should be an adult. I have a confession to make to you. Somebody hurts me seven times in a single day. I ain't going to like them. I'm not going to like them. Jesus says you must forgive them. Now, I'm looking at what Jesus is saying there. He's told us two things. He says, first of all, you're going to hurt people. That's just given, and people are going to hurt you. But when you do hurt people, just know how serious it is. And then people are going to hurt you and they're going to ask for forgiveness. You should, you should first confront them, rebuke them, he says. Then when they ask for forgiveness, you, you forgive them, not just once, not just twice, but seven times, and not just seven times in a lifetime, seven times in a single day. And I'm looking at that 
And I'm trying to put myself in the disciples' sandals and I'm thinking, this is impossible. I can't do this or I don't think I can do this. And so, but what Jesus is trying to point out here, he's not trying to make faith unreachable. He's simply acknowledging that there are some challenges. It is sometimes challenging living the life of faith. Things don't always go well. Okay. But then the second thing Jesus tells us, not only that the life of faith includes struggles, but the next part of this passage, we see uh, a, a seemingly innocent but misguided request in light of a demanding faith. Because, now walk with me here. If, if you and I are sitting there with the disciples, in light of what Jesus has just said, my response is going to be, I can't do that. And I think that's what the disciples' response was, and so they made a request. It was a very logical, I think understandable request. It's in verse 5. They said, increase our faith. So Jesus has just said, you're going to accomplish some impossible task. The, the disciples come back and say, man, I can't do that, so increase our faith. That seems like a logical thing, except for the fact that Jesus says, not so fast. You see, if I'm sitting there with the disciples and, and Jesus has just said, do the impossible, and I say with the disciples, increase our faith, the next thing, if I haven't read this passage, I'm going to expect Jesus to say, okay, I will. Except for, that's not what he said. Instead, he tells them, a, gives them a couple of analogies, and one of them has to do with what I call the stress-relieving truth that is already located within us. The stress-relieving truth that, that is already located within us. Look at verse number six. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. So the disciples basically are saying, you're asking us to do the impossible, but our faith is, is, is really, really small. Increase our faith. And Jesus comes back and he says, no, your faith, which I'll agree is about the size of a mustard seed. It's very small. But he says, let me tell you this, the, seed, the faith that you have is enough. Let me paraphrase what Jesus' response, I think, was. He says to them, basically, even if your faith is, tiny, is as tiny as a mustard seed, that amount of faith is enough. Not only that, but you already have that much faith. In other words, you already have enough faith in you to do everything that God has called you to do. Now, that is good news for you and me. You and I will have struggles in life that require faith and sometimes we will wonder if we really have enough faith to make it through this earthquake of a struggle. And Jesus says to us what he said to them, you already have all the faith you need in you because I have planted it in you. Now let me make two statements here. One, I want to point out two things. One, Jesus says something ridiculous. I don't know if you caught it. Maybe you did. 
He says this, he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, now a mulberry tree is a small tree, but it doesn't really matter what kind of tree it was, you will be able to say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and then cast into the sea. Now does that really make sense to you? Is there anybody here who has wanted to uproot a tree so that you can go down to the ocean and just drop it into the sea. Has anybody here thought about doing that? Nobody. How ridiculous is that? Why would Jesus say that? I believe that he's saying that because, because the request that the disciples made that he increased their faith, although they thought it's understandable, and I think it was understandable, Jesus says, your request is as ridiculous as plucking up a tree and throwing it into the, the ocean because you already have that faith. But then he goes on and he says this. He gives us what I think is a more frequent reality about living out our faith. And he does it by telling a weird story. This is really where it gets stranger. Look at verse 7. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing in the field or looking after the sheep. When that servant comes back in from working and doing everything he or she's supposed to do, will you say to the servant, come along now and sit down to eat? I mean, that would be like a nice thing to do, wouldn't it? just out of appreciation for the employee that you have. But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what you'd say. Here's what you'd say. Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat. And then after I eat, then you can eat. Doesn't that sound rude? Huh? Or he says, will he thank? Will you thank the servant because that servant did what he or she was told to do? And he doesn't give the answer to that question, but... We see it in the next verse, verse 10. He says, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Now, this is a weird story because it makes it sound like Jesus is encouraging you not to appreciate the folks who do things for you. I mean, think about it. If you owned a farm or you owned a business and people were working for you and they did exactly what they were supposed to do, would you not appreciate them? Of course you would. But that is not what Jesus is, is indicating that we would do, this farmer would do. What is his point? I think the point is this. Jesus said when the servant is doing exactly what he is supposed to do, it's kind of like you doing exactly what you do or are supposed to do every single day. Basically, we're talking about this, that while you and I have struggles, earthquake-sized struggles that will require uh, uh, all the faith that is within us, most of our lives are lived in the mundane, routine, everyday, boring minutia of life. And guess what? Those boring moments of your life also require faith. What kind of boring things? Getting up in the morning. For some of you, that requires a lot of faith. Putting on your clothes in the morning. 
eating dinner with your family. A few weeks ago when I was preparing for this message, I ran across a sermon series based on this one passage that a preacher at a church had preached several years ago. He preached 10 sermons from this passage. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, thank God Jimmy's not going to do that. But each of the sermons he preached from this passage was, in each one of them, he talked about some ordinary thing we do, and he preached a whole sermon on it. For instance, watch this. Here, here are the sermon titles. Now, I'm not going to do this. You're already glad that I'm not. But here are the sermon titles. Waking up in the morning. He preached a whole sermon on waking up in the morning. Making the bed. Losing your keys. Brushing your teeth. I'm not creative enough to preach a whole sermon on brushing my teeth. Fighting with your spouse, eating leftovers. These are sermon titles. Traffic. Actually, I could preach a series on traffic. Calling a friend, going to sleep. He even preached his the final sermon in that series was, was, was entitled Drinking Tea. I know, that's weird. That's really weird. But here's what he was saying, and this is what Jesus was saying. The routine things that you and I do every single day, a thousand times a day, they also require faith. And God has given you already all the faith you need to deal with the earthquake struggles of your life, but he's also given you all the faith you need to deal with brushing your teeth in the morning and at night or uh, eating leftovers or whatever it is that you're going to do that you don't even think about doing because they're just second nature. You and I use faith more often than we breathe and we just don't even realize it. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful to you that faith really helps us during the crises of our lives. But I also thank you that faith is as real as getting up in the morning and putting on our clothes and blow drying our hair. I'm thankful that you've given us faith for the difficult times, but you've also given us faith for the ordinary times. And so faith is extraordinary, but it's especially extraordinary in our ordinary. Lord, I pray for the folks in this room right now. I pray first of all for the people who do not have a relationship with you. They've never invited you to be their savior. I pray for someone to make that decision to receive you as savior now today in this service. I pray for those who are struggling with their faith. They know they're saved. We know we're saved, but Lord, we struggle. We're struggling with life. God, help us. We're not going to repeat the request of the disciples that you increase our faith because you've already told us that we have all the faith we need, but help us to utilize the faith you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.